Do you like corn? <laughs> Love corn. Do you like cheese? Love cheese. Do you like doing cheesy and corny segments like telling people not to treat this as legal advice? Actually, I hate doing that. <laughs> but we have to do it anyway. And you have to listen to it. No legal advice. Bye. Bye. Hostile work environment. Exactly. Hey, inappropriate workplace topic. Hostile work environment. Shut up. The Human Resources Director, Little Miss Hostile Work Environment. Hello, Dennis. Hey, you, Mark. How are things? Things are great. Welcome to episode 18. 18. Hopefully this intro doesn't have to get reordered somehow. No. <laughs> now, now that I've said what episode number it is, yeah, but here we, we are. Yeah, we try not to do that because every now and then something awesome happens. Yeah, I wasn't thinking. Yeah. It's all right. This will be episode 18. Yeah, hell or high water. You're listening to episode 18 of the Hostile Work Environment with Mark and Dennis. We are here in Portland, Oregon, where it is now spring. <laughs> it's it's funny how that happens, but all of a sudden the yeah. there's flowers and and leaves and stuff starting. And literally a couple weeks ago, we had like four inches of snow outside. Yeah, well, transition here. I have found it basically just happens. It it's just not happens. gradual. It just happens. Whereas the rest of the country, as we record this, is suffering through the... Windpocalypse. Windpocalypse. Yeah, a, tr a tree came down on my brother's uh, shed and house. Oh, that sucks. Is he all right? Yeah, everybody's fine. Okay, cool. I mean, it doesn't look like the damage is that bad, but oh. like I saw a lot of pictures of trees down uh, in the mid-Atlantic states after the storm this weekend. Oh, so, wow. So whatever whatever it is, we're lucky here. It's relatively calm and, Good. and warm and... Yeah, I was I was out doing yard work yesterday. I'm going to do some as soon as you know we're done here today, and um, yeah. All right, we talked about the weather. We that talked was, about the weather. That was How's like that, the folks? Most... Hey, hey, this is the scintillating podcast you've been waiting for. Um, <laughs> we do have some interesting um, legal employment type stuff to talk about, and today we got a theme. A themed episode. episode. All right. A themed episode. And I don't know why I said that. Like, I don't know what the theme is. I do know what the theme is. I know what the theme is, too. Um, but one of the reasons why we chose this theme is, one, we got a really great listener-submitted story on this theme. And we were like, wow, we should, we should just theme a whole episode on this. But the other thing I was, you know, really thinking about is that I know a lot of our listeners are in the recruiting end of HR. Yes. And we don't, you know, the recruiters... They're kind of the lucky people in HR because they don't get sued that often. It's not as frequent on my my radar in terms of failure to hire yeah. uh, recruiting issues. But but guess what? We're going to talk about some today. Yeah. And, and just from my experience on LinkedIn, uh, interfacing with the HR community, recruiters are such a huge part of the community and get the most engagement on oh, that yeah. platform just by talking about recruiting a little bit. Uh, they're like the superstar like, ah, celebrity, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, of the LinkedIn world, and so we hadn't talked about it at all through through eighteen episodes, seventeen episodes right. prior to this one. So here we are. So we're going to deliver. Yes. All right, recruiters. This one's for you. This one's for you. And speaking of delivery, um, first case I wanted to talk about is FedEx. Oh, see, they deliver. 
Oh, got it. Yeah, get it? It's a little early here for me yeah, still to... Yeah, it's, it's early morning. Actually, it's As, not. It's, it's like, not. It's, it's, it's 10 in the morning. Mark's just, you know. Um, <laughs> so, I think of recruiting as the happy end of HR. Because when everybody's getting recruited and getting hired, you know, people are feeling good. You think? Because that means that there's an awful lot of people being rejected. Well, there are, but, you know, it's a good economy, and most people that get rejected get picked up somewhere else. Okay. But, you know, back in 2012, the economy wasn't so hot, and a lot of people were applying for jobs at FedEx. And it was actually even before 2012. This lawsuit goes back over the the previous year. So what happened here, and this is like a great tip for recruiters on, you know, how to make sure that you're not inadvertently discriminating against people. Because the Department of Labor came into a FedEx facility in Grove City, Ohio, and they did some statistical analysis. Okay. Here is what they found. Almost 3,900 applicants were discriminated against in hiring decisions. What? Yeah. That, I mean, in one facility, 3,900 applicants. I, I'm like, okay. But here's how they found it. They took a look at... 6,178 men who applied. They found that 29.8% of them were hired. That's a lot of positions. That's a lot of positions. Okay. And a 30% hiring rate for the men. They then took a look at 2,277 women who applied in the same time period, and guess what? Lower percentage. Lower percentage by almost half. 18.7% were hired. That's... Not good. What you want to see. And apparently, if you want to work at that particular facility, you might want to be white. Because 33.2% of the white applicants were hired, whereas only 21.9% of the black applicants were hired, 18.7% of the Hispanic, and 15.7% of Native American applicants were hired. That's That strikes me as statistically significant. Yeah. With that many hires and that many applications. It's a statistic significance. Statistinificence. Significance. So the DOL came in and said, nah, you don't get to do that. And for those 3,898 rejected applicants, they were awarded almost $620,000 in back wages as part of that settlement. Now, you divide like that by... That's not that much. That's not that much that's, per person. No. But well, it's a, for FedEx, it's not that much anyway. No. But here's the thing. That was one facility. Uh-oh. DOL expanded their investigation, looked at 24 different facilities in 15 states, and hit them with $3 million. Still not that much for FedEx. And that's a settlement. Not, that's a settlement. Not Fair a fine. enough. Fair enough. But what it tells us is that if you're in the recruiting end of HR and you don't want to end up in the unhappy lawsuit, what you might want to be doing... Don't hire so many people. Yeah, just don't, right? don't If you do don't hire job. that many people, you can't have statistical security. Yeah, just stop kidding, hiring. But if, kidding, you, ha- if, if you, you have must to hire, hire people... If you must. And you're hiring in large numbers, you might want to run some statistics every now and then to make sure you're not running into the kind of numbers that the DOL would, would you know... That would catch their attention? That would catch their attention. And you might want to 
I'm not saying you need to hire us and we're not giving you legal advice, but you might want to have an attorney involved so that that is done under attorney-client privilege so you're yep. not creating some evidence. A record of your own discrimination. Yeah. Yes, or potential discrimination. So that's not the only way that you can get in trouble for a, a failure to hire type situation. Um, no, no, sure. Well, no, there, 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 there's, there's more ways to do this. <laughs> um, here's one that I liked, and it, it's maybe because it's where I used to live. Um, but sometimes Sweden. No, this this one's out of Washtenaw County. You know where Washtenaw County is? I don't. Is that in um, Michigan? Michigan, Michigan, Southeast right. Michigan, Ooh, home right. of home of Ann Arbor and the University of Michigan, home of Ypsilanti and Ypsilanti. Eastern Michigan University. Shout out Michigan! Woohoo! Go blue! Anyway, this is a more of an individual type situation. Um, a guy named Al- Ali Abu Bakr was awarded nearly $1.2 million because he sued Washtenaw County for employment discrimination and harassment because he was passed up for promotions because of his religion, race, and appearance. So he's already an employee. Already an employee. And so this would be a failure to promote case. Correct. But, you know, recruiters often turn internally first. Of course. And then they look around and they say, you know, who should we move up? Well, they didn't move up... Mr. Abu Bakr. Because here's the deal. He's from Tunisia. He's Muslim. He has a name that strongly suggests his background. And according to his complaint, he is of a dark complexion. He was an employee of Washtenaw County for 17 years. He started out as a bus driver, made his way to maintenance tech, and moved on and on and on. He has four advanced degrees. And what happened was he applied for a bunch of promotions, didn't get any of them. So he'd gotten promoted for a number of years, but then he kind of hit a wall. He'd gotten promoted, and then he hit some sort of glass ceiling. He began reporting ethnic and racial slurs that he endured in the workplace. And after that, he claims he was passed over for promotions that went to less qualified job candidates. Okay. So that, that that's tends to sound like the beginnings of a case there. Yeah, maybe so. Where recruiters need to watch out is when you're dealing with a situation like this, you've really got to make sure that if you're passing a long-term employee up for possible promotions, that there is a good, clean record for, for why, why you want to have some objective criteria for... Yeah for your decision-making process. And sometimes it comes down to two equally qualified applicants, both of whom you know could do a good job, and it comes down to feel. But if that, if that's what it's coming down to, you want to make sure yeah. that you're looking at those over time. Correct. To make sure that there's no disparate impact yeah. on certain, now that I've used the legal term, on certain populations. Exactly. What does disparate impact mean, Dennis? Disparate impact means that you have a policy that is harming one group of people more than it is another group of people. Whether that be intentional or not. Correct. Right, which is different from disparate treatment, which is another form of discrimination that we talk about. Which is usually intentional. Intentional and towards usually towards an individual or a group of individuals. And uh, and trust me, we're going to talk about that in just a second. Oh, good. Oh, yeah. We got a really good one. Okay. Um. But basically, if you've got somebody who is in a 
protected class or category and he's been with you for 17 years and he's got four advanced degrees and he's working as an as a maintenance tech or a bus driver you might want to scratch your head and, and ask yourself why and if the answer to why is not clearly documented right like he said that this is all he wants to do with his life is be a maintenance tech right. that would be a very legit reason totally 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 right but if he's applying for other jobs that are yeah more suited to his background and his education yeah. and there are other people yeah. who are applying who don't have those same qualifications and they're getting the job and he's not it, it starts to stink and Problem. that's what the jury thought in this case they thought it really stunk they fired mr abu Bakr, and that's what really oh, for, led to his I see. lawsuit for, i think that was for the making final noise straw. just about about complaining about discrimination well, no, they or? fired him because he refused to start working five minutes before his shift officially began <laughs> yep so it, it starts with a wage thing kind of yeah kind of Right, so, and, and to not to not be paying him for those five. I'm sorry, not to get into that no, side it, issue. No, it wasn't but. a pay issue. He just he wouldn't do it. So so like he was supposed to start at eight o'clock. He was there at seven fifty-five. They were like, "Get to work." He's like, "No, I don't start for another five more minutes." So they fired him for d- insubordination. Weird. <laughs> yeah, I mean that, that's a, that's a whole side thing that, to go down, which we're not going to go down. Like weak old fish. But yeah, Washtenaw County. Okay. Yeah. Go blue. <laughs> so we talked about disparate impact. Here's disparate treatment. This is the I can't hire you because you're black case. Literally. That that Literally. was that was what happened. Okay. So there is a place in Queens, New York, called and I'm gonna screw this up, but Mark speaks French, so he'll he'll correct me. The Frambouille Patisserie. I mean, I can't say the spelling, but Frambouille Patisserie in Queens, New York. My guess is that it's in Queens, so it's called the Frambouille Patisserie. Maybe. Yeah. Or maybe. Anyway. Yeah. It's a French bakery. It's in Queens, and it was sued for discriminatory hiring practices because when Jamila DaCosta applied for a counter girl position in 2011, the co-owner, Patty Mimitea, who conducted the interview, turned her away. And here's a brilliant bit of, um, you know, just management in general. She told her, I can't hire you because you're black. Well. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, I mean, that, not that, okay, that's, but that's, okay. Yeah. Um, she then explained... Because, you know, it wasn't enough to just, like, be racist and leave it alone. She had to explain that, you know, Jamila wouldn't be a good fit for the position because black workers in front of the store would scare away customers. In Queens, New York. In Queens, New York. In 2011. Yes. Not that it would be legit in any other time period, just to be clear. But Queens, New York in In 2011 2011 is a pretty diverse place. I think people working there are probably used to seeing a variety of people working in bakeries. I'm going to guess that. Of many different creeds, colors, you know. Now, if they said, like, you don't speak French and you can't work here. And you could show that, <laughs> you could like, show that that's required. French was required. Like, as part of the shtick of the... Yeah. It, it, was, it was a theme. Still, that's still thin. Pretty thin. So... 
Um, that bakery really got away light. $25,000 in fines That's after a trial. It? Yep. That's it. What? What I'm learning here across these three cases we've talked about so far is that the damage levels are all over the place. All over the place. And and that's fascinating to me when you especially on the FedEx one where I would have expected those numbers to be much higher. Yeah. Well and, now, here's the thing, and, and and there's there's a lot that we don't know about these cases. Sure. But it could be in the bakery case that our friend Jamila was able to go out and get another job pretty quickly and thus didn't sustain a whole lot of economic damages. Right. And that's often what we see in failure to hire cases is that the damage awards tend to be low be because low. people get the shaft in one job, but they move on, they apply somewhere else, they get employed from somebody else. And and if they make, especially if they make as much as they would have made in the yeah. job that they were rejected from. And they get from, a job relatively Then quickly. your damages are just the time in between. Right. And failure to promote cases. Minus punitives or things like that. Right. Punitives, attorney's fees. Attorney's fees. But generally speaking, the damages, the compensatory damages are going to be limited. Those are limited. In cases where there's a failure to promote, it could be a lot more because those often occur over a long period of time. Like right. Mr. Abu Bakr's case, he was there for 17 years. Right. And, and how long had that been going on for? And exactly. how much was he making? And how much was he making? And how much was he not making by not getting those promotions? Some of this ends up being barred by a statute of limitations. True. But sometimes he can argue like, I never really discovered that I was the victim of discrimination until it had been going on for, for years. For years. It took that long for it to become yeah. a clear pattern. Right. And the same thing, like, you know, we talked about that FedEx case and how the each individual applicant didn't really get a ton of money. But that, again, could be because it was... For the most part, they went and got other jobs. They went and got other jobs. That's so, But don't think that just because the damages are going to be low that you should engage <laughs> in shoddy hiring practices. No. Because what we, you know, we didn't have an example of, but... All of those cases could have been brought as private lawsuits by lawyers who are going to collect their attorney fees. And even though the individual damages might have been low in any one of those cases, had it gone through trial, that could easily turn into Multiple half a million six dollars easily. In, in attorney's fees. So, Mark, what are the lessons to take away from this? What would you tell people are like the three big things to remember when you're recruiting and hiring? I mean, I, I, the first thing I would think of here is to look at your recruiting, recruiting and hiring through the same lens that you'd look at all of your other employment decisions from a, from a disparate impact, disparate treatment, looking at those protected classes and making sure that your hiring practices are, are non-discriminatory in as, in as objective a way as you can and having objective criteria on, on your hiring positions makes it really easy to look at that and say, yeah, especially if you have enough volume in terms of how many people you're hiring, right? You can run those statistical analyses. And I would advise doing those on your own before the Department of Labor gets interested. And like Dennis said earlier, have an attorney do it. Yes. Have a lawyer involved. Otherwise, what you're doing is not protected by any sort of attorney-client privilege. And it's all discoverable all later. All discoverable. So the Department of Labor could come in and simply say, hey, have you guys run any sort of discrimination testing? And you'd answer yes, and they'd say, okay, great, give it to us. You'd turn it over. Right. And now, if it shows bad facts, you're toast. Now, here's another question, though. If you do that, 
and you 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 do the analysis and it shows that you've had some bad practices and you use that to fix those bad practices to to right the wrong over time better or worse to have that initial analysis out there and discoverable if you fixed it if you fixed it here's the thing in a failure to hire case how are you going to fix it well right in that moment Right. But what you could do, let's say you get that failure to hire case and your defense is no, 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 we actually like it's not true. And we've been looking at this very carefully over the last five years and maybe five years ago it was true, but we have fixed this problem. Right. Well, if your statutes of limitation have all passed on the ones that were bad before, maybe that's great. Right. But wouldn't they get that information anyway if they start sniffing around? Well, here's the thing, and I've, I've been involved in one or two Department of Labor investigations over the course of my career, and you never know how intensely They're the Department look. of Labor is going to look. That's a Sometimes good they come in and they say, you know what, we got a complaint from this one guy who says you didn't hire him because of X, Y, and Z. And you show them, yeah, we didn't hire that guy because he's the guy that came in wearing shorts and flip-flops to his interview. And, you know, he, he just basically gave a bad impression. Here are the interview notes where people were like writing, you've got to be kidding me in the margins, you know. And the DOL will take that and go away. Other times they'll come in and say, we got this one complaint. And because of that. Open all your books for the last 800 years. Yes. About every employee on every issue, and now you can obviously you can fight that back, but. and you and you can and you can fight it back, but you never really know, and you can't make an assumption that their investigation is going to be of a particular scope because it can change. So better than in the long run to keep that that work that you've done privileged. Yeah, I mean, we usually don't come on and tell you that you need to hire lawyers, but this is one case where almost you're better off not knowing anything than knowing something that's not attorney-client privileged. So there's plenty of lawyers out there who will be glad to walk you through the process and help you out with this and make sure that your hiring practices are completely defensible and do that under privilege. It'll never see the light of day and it'll give you a lot of security and help you sleep well at night. All true. Yeah. Um, That all that said, Right. Put this in the context of everything else we talk about on this podcast. Right. Oh, totally. This is episode 18 and we really haven't spoken about it before. Right. And we've talked a little bit about how damages can tend to be less in this area. That's not a justification to not focus on it and allow yourself to have discriminatory hiring practices. Not a no. justification. But put all of that in the context of everything else that we talk about. Right. right. It's one piece of a much larger puzzle. So don't freak out about it. That's what I'm saying. Don't freak out about it. There's no need to freak out about it. And in my experience, failure to hire things really are one of those that you usually get tagged with either because somebody said something stupid in the interview process. I've I've never heard of that happening before. No. But, (laughs) well, you just did because I gave you an example. Like, we can't hire you because you're black. Well, I mean, other than that. Okay, yeah. Um, Other than the story I'm going to be reading here shortly. Other than that. Other than those things, it's just not something Um, that happens. But most of the time, 
it's really hard for an individual to look at a hiring decision and say, oh, I didn't get that job because of my age, race, sex, national origin, etc. Where you get in trouble is when a, a government agency like the DOL or the EEOC gets involved and they come in, they do an audit and they're like, oh, we see a pattern here because over the last thousand hires, you know, 800 of those were men. That's right. how you get busted. All the ones I've actually had failure to hire cases have either been a DOL audit or somebody said something stupid. So don't say stupid stuff. Yeah, that's the majority. Yeah. So. Well, cool. Those are great, uh, great examples, Dennis. Why, thank you, Mark. Should we take a quick break and come back in a few minutes? Let's take a quick break. And then I think you've got a good story for us. Yeah. All righty. So, Mark. Yes, Dennis. So, we just ran through a few failure to hire cases. I've got one more. I just want to get your opinion on this one. Okay. So, this comes out of healthcare, a hospital in Missouri. And there was a nurse there named David. And he was... There's lots of male nurses these days. I oh, think... Yeah, know, so I, I didn't even flinch. No, I just wanted to point out that this is going to end up being a sex discrimination case. And... What I I used to work in healthcare until recently, and what I've always found interesting is that men have really made inroads into the nursing profession. But when you see a gender discrimination case in healthcare, it's almost always a male alleging that they have been discriminated against because they're in a female-dominated profession. Having come from the childcare industry uh-huh, myself, yeah. I have similar experience, and so maybe not quite as much, but it's. I, I I get it. So here's where here's where this case goes. David wants to transfer to an operating room position. So he asked his supervisor, hey, would you consider me for this job or would you train me for that job? Since I don't really have any experience as an OR nurse, wouldn't be qualified for it without specialized training. During the conversation, which brilliantly took place in front of an audience, the supervisor told in David... In front of an... Uh, like, just like there happened to be other, other people nurses. around. Okay. Yeah, she, he asked her in a group. I was like, are they on stage? No, 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 no. no. <laughs> but, but, you know, in front of witnesses. The nurse capades? The nurse capades. <laughs> on ice. On ice. <laughs> okay, so... Serious now. David asked his boss this in front of a couple other nurses. And the boss says, you know, I really need to look for a woman for this position. David's like, why? Well, the doctors really want more female nurses in the OR. I hate to discriminate against you because you're a man, but that's just how it is. That's what the doctors want. David, being a little upset by this, brought his complaint to the EEOC. The EEOC sued on his behalf. And here's where I think it legally gets interesting. The court tossed out the case. And it said, David, you got no standing to sue because you never formally applied for a job. All you did was ask your boss, hey, would you be interested in hiring me? And the boss said, nah, probably not because you're a guy. And you let it go. 
Mark's looking all puzzled at me. So I, I have a feeling you've got an opinion here. I've actually got two questions for you on this. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you about the first one because I can see your reaction. What do you think of that court decision? I am struggling with it on... And I actually literally did not know that this story was coming. So this is a genuine reaction for me at the moment. Yeah, right. I totally uh, surprised Mark with this. Did not uh, did not tell him where this was going. I mean, I, I I'm intrigued by the court's opinion, but my initial reaction is if it if it quells somebody, if it if it discourages them from applying when the time does come because they already know they're not going to get it. Right. If if there's no position officially posted right now. Right. Then that that doesn't really resonate with me as the court's opinion. I, I it just for me that's how does that take standing? I mean, I, and then again though I'm looking at like was there no position, and there, they just were no, chatting right like there or, totally or, was or had there been a practice before of somebody talking to somebody and being like, hey, can you get me a shift in the OR? No, there right? definitely was a position. Oh, he went to her asking oh. about a specific then that makes, job. That makes it even that that makes my opinion, I think, firmer on this that that there was a specific position that was open. He was inquiring about it, and they said, "No, you're a dude." Right. Here's what the court said. It said, "Look, under." rare circumstances, an employee or an applicant can be excused from actually applying for a position if there's an atmosphere in the workplace that makes it perfectly clear it would be pointless to apply. Then the court said that wasn't the case here, so he can't sue, threw it out. That sounds like a whole bunch of hooey to me. Hooey, horse pucky, or whatever they say. Can I ask which, which esteemed court this was? That would be the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals. Where's the eighth? Is that uh, Mountain West? No, that's the tenth. No, no it's it's Midwest. It's Midwest. like Missouri. Oh, right where I went to law school was the eighth. Way to go, Mark. I'm still, like we talked about earlier, I'm still not awake. Yeah. So <laughs> here's the thing that where I disagree with the court, I think I think the court was correct in saying, like, look, every time you fail to apply for a job, you can't turn around and say, oh, I, you know, I didn't bother because I would have been discriminated against. I think you have to have some evidence. But here, the, the supervisor clearly said, men need not applaud. So, so here's another. I think that's enough. I, I, I think so too. But here's, here's actually where I thought this might be going. Yeah. I thought maybe a fact would come out that showed that there was already a disproportionate number of male nurses in the OR. No, that's not part of the case. No, I know that. But that would have been another interesting question about. So, yeah, we're actually trying to write this by having a not, you know, overrepresentation of male nurses relative to the number of male nurses as a whole. In, in the right, but that's not that's not the case. But that would have been another interesting question for me. Would that have changed things or not? And would it? I didn't actually think of that one, but it's a good question. Yeah. So what do you? Th- I mean, what's your take? I don't like that on an individual basis because I think no matter what, you want to be looking at whoever's the most qualified. Right. Agreed. And in the end, that's what it would come down to for me. Yet, going back to some of our prior conversations, you certainly want to look at your overall metrics on things like that. Yeah. To make sure that it's not disproportionate in one way or another. And usually what I recommend to people is that if you are concerned that your workforce is not as diverse as it should be, first take a look at your applicant pool 
and then take a look at the community from which you're drawing the applicants. Yeah, hugely important. If your applicant pool is skewed, like say you're getting none of the male nurses applying, or, or like you're hiring in Portland. Okay. Oh, sorry. Well, that's not applicant pool. That's 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 racial makeup of the population. Right. I was getting one step ahead of you. Sorry. But um, you know, then you really need to think about your recruiting practices and whether you're right. recruiting in the right ways. You know, is is something going on that you're not reaching the male nurse population if they're underrepresented? Right. Um, here's actually the other question I had for you, and it's kind of related. This is a hospital. In a lot of hospitals, physicians are not employees of the hospital. They come in, they do their surgeries there. They have something called privileges that let them do that. But they have privileges at multiple hospitals. Right. Hospitals like to keep doctors happy because when doctors do their surgery at that hospital and not the neighboring hospital, then it, that hospital gets income. And reputational boost and all sorts all of things. All that good stuff, right? So hospitals try to keep doctors happy. Here, doctors say, we want more female nurses in the OR. Well, Does that legitimize no. the hospital's discrimination against male nurses? No. Why not? Well, because the law says you can't discriminate anyway, right? <laughs> I mean, like, just because they want to discriminate and they're they're effectively contractors of a sort, right? Like, But the law does recognize that there's this thing called a BFOQ or a bona fide occupational sure. qualification. Give me those facts. What like having the doctor say we want female nurses or we no the doc no that doesn't them? make it a BFOQ right then it would have to be the doctor saying no let's be very clear not having a penis actually qualifies you for this job better than having one in very objective ways that's kind of hard to do in the OR <laughs> it's not relevant. It's discrimination, regardless of whether they feel that way or not. And in this case, let me go one step further. This is just what one supervisor says about those doctors. We don't know what the doctors are actually saying. Well, true. Listen, the doctors actually do say that. What well, should the hospital do? Well, I think they have to figure out the middle road to make everybody happy the best they can. And it's, it's a tight dance, and it might be that they piss off some doctors. Which is always good. Pissing off doctors is a lot I'm of fun. I'm not saying it's good. I'm just um, saying that it might be a hard choice that they have to make. Maybe what they need to do is go back to the doctors and say, like, look, we can't discriminate on the basis of sex in our hiring practices. We, you know, our nurses, we hire the most qualified. And if the most qualified nurse applicant happens to be male, that's who's going to get the job. Yeah. And, de and Dr. Westland says, well, fine, then I'm going to go to this other hospital. Well... That may be the risk you run. That's, what I'm, that's what I'm saying, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, um, it's, it's a tightrope walk, but I would always say, right? But it's my job to say this, right? Don't discriminate. Don't discriminate. Or here's another thought. If your operating room is disproportionately male and you're worried about that and you really want to take a better look at the gender mix, don't go tell the male applicant that you won't consider him because he's a man. Well, right. That, that, you know. Just look at the applicants and if there's, if they're close enough, hire the female one. Yeah. There's lots of things you could do just a little bit better. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that was cool. I thought that, that was, was an a cool discussion. Story. It had a lot of a lot of juicy bits to it. Should we take another very quick break, and I'll be back with a story here in a minute. Sounds good. <laughs> 
So, Mark, we are back, and it is time for you to regale us with a listener-submitted story. Story time. All right, this comes from one of our international listeners. Ooh, I love it. Uh, I will not go into more detail than that to preserve anonymity, uh, but she says she loves the podcast from abroad and has some great stories. So, here's... Well, thank you. Here's an interview story. So, she says, I hated my job at the time really bad, so I was interviewing like crazy. This interview was for an office manager on steroids role through a recruiter at a company in Greenwich, Connecticut. I don't know why that's important, but I'm just going to run with it. The recruiter told me that he was untraditional in his interview tactics, but I didn't worry yet as I thought I had heard it all, being very active in job searching. I arrived at the interview and was greeted by the hiring manager, Bob's assistant, Bob in quotes, I assume that's not a real name, Bob's assistant, who told me my interview would begin in a meeting that Bob had already started. The first test would be to take notes while in the meeting and write them up later uh, later on to be evaluated. Unique, but not super weird yet. I actually think that's super weird. Super weird. But... In the meeting, he introduced me to not only the people at the conference room table, but the eight people on the conference line as well, telling them that I was interviewing to work at his company, and asked me to explain why I wanted the job right there on the speakerphone. Completely strange, (laughs) uncomfortable, weird. This should have been my sign to leave. I'm going to agree. Yeah, yeah. Time to go. The meeting ended, and myself, the hiring manager, and his admin were left in the conference room. Bob then told me his phone was about to die, so he pointed outside the room toward his office, it was an all-glass office space, and asked if I could go into his office to retrieve his charger from inside his briefcase visible from the conference room. I started to panic. Is this a trick? Am I on camera? Should I do it? I obediently walked over and got his charger and sat back down in the conference room in order to be the cool, in quotes, cool interviewee who can't be swayed. Then questioning began normally, my experience, my qualifications, etc. He then brought out the wacky questions out of the blue. <laughs> does your fiance or husband work? Oh God. What does he do? That's a big engagement ring. Are you going to have kids get fat and take six months off? <laughs> God, you've got to be kidding. I'm just reading what's on the page. And actually, I believe it. (laughs) Um, I calmly responded, I don't believe you're supposed to ask that question, but I will answer anyway, since I was just so taken off guard by by the whole thing, and I saw dollar signs. At one point in our discussion, I said, thank God. And he responded, oh, are you a Jesus freak or something? Yeah. I'm not easily insulted and or frazzled, born and raised in New York, but this was awful. It continued. You have, like, olive skin tone. Are you Spanish or Mexican or Italian? Why do you think you're so special? It just kept getting worse. Is this like a practical joke? No, it's not. I kept calm, but when I left, I was totally furious. What a jackass. I actually was offered the job the next day, but turned it down. Uh, Good call. This is a man who owns and runs a ton of companies, all very successful. This is why the role paid really well, pretty much double the market value at the time. Wow. Still wondering if I should have taken it just for comic relief. It it could have been a fun I mean, it might have been fun, 
but all the red flags are there and we'd, you'd have nobody else to blame but yourself. Um, Depends a bit on what the job's going to be. I'm- Right. She said, then says, hope this helps. I'm not a storyteller. Actually, that was very was great well told. Story. Thank you. Um, you are a storyteller. Uh, can people really get in trouble for asking illegal interview questions? That's what she asks. Answer is yes. And based on this, we did a whole episode based on interviews whole, and hiring. Whole, yeah. Yes, you can. You get don't in get to ask whether somebody is married or engaged. You don't get to ask whether they are planning on having children. You don't get to ask what their ethnic background is. Those are all completely verboten. It's yeah. I mean, and people get in trouble for it all the time. All the time. That's an awesome story. Isn't that great? I love that story. We love getting these stories from all of you. We've had a few more come in, but please keep them coming. Yeah. Uh, The the stories are just great. And I love getting them. And I don't read them to Dennis. I'm the one who staffs the email address. Yeah. And I don't share any of it with Dennis before I read it. That's Um, why you're getting the the, the straight, honest reaction here. uh, This is, for me, the most fun part of the podcast is hearing from all of you. Yeah. So, if you have a story, and you do, um, send it to stories at hwepodcast.com. Indeed. And I believe if you want to contribute. Because you have money. Because you do have money. We know you do. Um, Send it to www.patreon.com slash hwe. And I believe, Dennis, I'm going to put you on the spot here for just a second. We have a new contributor whose name needs to be read you're right mark if anybody contributes to our patreon campaign at the level of ten dollars or more the reward is that they get their name read woo-woo. yeah woo-hoo. <laughs> that so, was the worst woo-woo ever I'm terrible just gonna say. my god i was like what is that yeah no um, that was it was kind of gassy woo-woo. <laughs> Gonna, I'm not touching that. So that would be a toot toot. But our n- <laughs> yes, Sorry. come for the insightful employment advice. Stay for the fart jokes. Um, for one time in 18 episodes, we're allowed. Is that really our first? Fart I joke? think it was our first fart joke, and uh, we won't do it again for a while. I yeah, promise. I think once every 18 is sufficient. Um, anyway. Our newest $10 patron is Tammy Kravitz. Thank you, Tammy. Thank you, Tammy. Woo-hoo, Tammy. She joins a great, great roster of patrons, including Ryan Vesey, Jordan George, Heidi Pancake, yes, that's her real name, and Jason Gardner. Jason Gardner. Jason Gardner. Jason Gardner, our first. Our very first $10. You never patron. forget your first. Never going to forget your first. Um if you want to kick us three bucks, five bucks, you can get your name listed on our website. Yeah, which I'm behind on. I'll go. I need to go update that. I'll do that this right. week. Um, Promise. Anyway, there's other rewards. You can check it out on uh, www.patreon.com slash HWE. All right. Also, check us out on Twitter at HWE Podcast. And Facebook. Yeah, just look for hostile work yeah, environment. I forget the URL. Just look yeah, for hostile work environment. It's, it, it's long and it's terrible. So, anyway, that's enough chatter for this episode. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in a week with episode 19. Um, until then, ciao. Stay out of trouble. 
Basically, I'm just gonna walk the earth. What you mean, walk the earth? You know, like Kane in Kung Fu. Walk from place to place, meet people, get in adventures.